Chapter Twelve of Workers Together. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Workers Together or an Endless Chain by Pansy. Chapter Twelve: Weakness and Philosophy. It is true the doctor looked at Joy, but it was her mother to whom he spoke. Mrs. Saunders, we need, I think, a little of your wisdom in this matter. Why are such things? Why, for instance, should we three plan as wisely as we could a bit of net in which to catch this gay young fish who has been with us this afternoon, having good and not evil in mind concerning her, and then one of the plotters be allowed to blunder so egregiously? The last persons who ought to meet socially and influence each other are the young man upstairs and the young girl who has been frolicking with him this evening. They seem to me eminently calculated to do each other harm, and I would have made considerable effort to keep them unknown to each other. Had I imagined that our plan was to be carried into effect today, I would not have done this other thing, you may be sure. I'm sure I supposed Joy had told you, said Mrs. Saunders. Trying not to speak irritably to the doctor, trying also not to look with reproachful eyes at Joy, it was hard work. She was a trifle vexed with them both. Why should I, mother? Joy's tones were quiet but cold. How was I to know that it would be a matter of special interest to Doctor Everett that Hester Mason was coming here this afternoon? Of course, I had no intention of attaching blame to any but myself. And now the doctor's voice showed to those well acquainted with him that he was just a trifle hurt. I do not wish to interfere with any arrangements. I merely remark that I regret the meeting between these two. I have been worrying a little over the friendship between her and young Barrows, but of the two, I am less afraid of his influence than I am of Roberts, or rather of her influence over him. I hardly know which I dread the most, his or hers. Both are bad. Mrs. Saunders rose up from picking shreds of red wool from the carpet and looked inquiringly. Do you mean my Austin Barrows? Does he go with her? My patience! I'm sorry to hear it. It does seem to me as though Satan was determined to have that boy. It's my opinion she can lend a helping hand to him whenever she wants to. The grimness of Mrs. Saunders' tone. As well as the emphasis on certain words explained her meaning. She thought that poor Hester Mason was entirely capable of furthering Satan's efforts in many directions. Nothing in the girl's bright, bold face or gay words had taken hold of her heart. Well, she said after a thoughtful pause, the book says he maketh the wrath of man to praise him. I suppose he can make the blundering of man and of women too do the same. We must just leave it with him and try again. The worst feature of it is that we cannot undo what has been done, the doctor said pointedly, and then this disappointed trio separated. As for Joy, she cried a little when she reached the privacy of her room and confessed to herself that the blundering was largely, if not entirely, her fault. If she had not been such a simpleton and had let Dr. Everett know what her plans were, But she said nothing to this to her mother or to him. After this, Dr. Everett's plans seemed to stand in abeyance for several weeks. It was not that his desires grew less or that he gave up any of his hopes, but his way seemed hedged in. 
no opportunity offered for advancing any of his schemes. In the meantime, he was painfully conscious that Satan was not idle. He met those two, Austin Barrows and Hester Mason, or those two, Austin Barrows and Delia Curtis, frequently in his comings and goings. Always they seemed to be eagerly and gaily moving in a direction that he would have preferred them not to have chosen, and always they seemed to be sufficient to themselves. They nodded in a satisfied way in answer to his bows, but were either indifferent to his opinion, or too low in the social scale to know that his opinion would have been adverse to their pleasures. Meantime, the only satisfaction he derived from Robert Parks's continued weakness was found in the fact that he was thus held aloof from society which could only injure him. That young man was having a wearisome convalescence. He seemed to advance rapidly enough up to a certain point, and then to make a halt. At times there came to him a discouraging feeling that his strength was broken, that he would never again be able to rush about through the world as he saw others doing, and the thought was a very bitter one. A life of invalidism was one from which he shrank back in horror. He thought of his father, of the miserable days and dreadful nights spent in turning wearily from side to side in search of rest, which was never found. How could the son endure such living as that? It did not lessen the pain of this possible prospect to remember with what frequency and energy his father, after a night of unusual suffering, was wont to repeat those words, There remaineth a rest to the people of God. Not a drop of comfort was in the thought. He understood the sentence less than he did the foreign phrases that were wont to be often on his scholarly father's tongue in his younger and brighter days. Persistently did this foolish modern Rehoboam turn away from the fountain of strength and comfort to be found where his father rested. In truth, he was growing irritable over any attempt to impress him in this direction. He was grateful to Dr. Everett, but wished that he would mix less religion with his doses of medicine. He was grateful to Mrs. Saunders for her appetizing little efforts to tempt him to eat, but would be glad if she could cook without so much seasoning from the Bible. He treasured his mother's letters because they were from his mother, but often folded them away with frowns on his face, and wished aloud that mother wouldn't always preach. A fellow can't be driven into this thing, he would occasionally tell himself indignantly, as a sort of excuse for turning his thoughts away from it. So he spent his time in chafing over his hard lot, pondering the probable length of his doctor's bill and board bill, wondering how they would ever get paid. Wondering how he would live, suppose strength did not come back, shrinking from the thought of going to the quiet country home to live on his mother, muttering to himself that he would rather die than do that, being conscious meantime that this matter of dying was not in his hands, and that, even if it were, he was far from ready for it. No wonder that his strength came slowly. He crept out one day as far as the store and looked about him. But the activity and energy displayed there seemed to confuse him, made his headache, sent him home with a curious feeling of having been wronged, or having had his strength taken out of him to add to the life that was all about the store, while he lay a helpless wreck and looked on it from a distance. Very much alone he felt during these days. Of joy he saw almost nothing, 
a glimpse now and then in the sunset room whither he occasionally took refuge from his weariness but even these glimpses grew rarer he was made heartily welcome to this room and mrs saunders exerted herself earnestly to make the time hang less heavily she was willing to bestow much petting on him but she would have none of joy's efforts in that direction as for hester mason whether she came any more robert could not discover without direct questioning which he did not choose but if she did he was carefully guarded from the sight of her or the sound of her cheery voice joy had experimented in that direction sufficiently so the weary days wore away a ride would be the best prescription for you young man it was dr everett's brisk voice addressing him and a searching look was bestowed on the languid-faced young fellow who played with rather than ate his breakfast it is a bright winter day i think you may drive with me on my rounds robert's face brightened visibly he had been longing for the fresh air and a sense of motion without personal effort and had wondered not a little that the doctor had not proposed something of the sort to be sure the prospect of waiting while the doctor made professional calls was not particularly inviting but it was better than sitting cooped up by the window watching the unending and uninteresting stream of humanity that passed by the doctor was a rapid driver too and on this particular morning exerted himself to be interesting so that when he suddenly reined in his horses before a handsome house robert admitted that he felt better than he had since the accident then you are ready to make some calls with me you will have to come in i don't care about your sitting outside facing this wind put on a dignified air and you will be taken for a medical student deeply interested in this case there was no opportunity to demur dr everett was as rapid in his movements as he was decided in his directions and despite his utter disrelish for the proceeding robert presently found himself following the doctor's lead the house into which they were promptly admitted was an elegant one a wide handsome hall with its rich furnishings suggested unlimited wealth and cultured taste dr everett laid aside his outer wrappings motioning to robert to do the same then raced upstairs still followed slowly by the reluctant medical student you may sit here he said at last a faint smile in his gray eyes and indicating by his hand the direction of the here it was certainly a pleasant enough place in which to sit a large handsome room its appointments indicating that it was an invalid's parlor the sort of parlor which only wealth can produce even for an invalid there was a bright clear fire burning in the open grate a sofa was drawn before it luxuriating in pillows and cushions of various sizes and a brilliant afghan lay across the foot there were rare paintings on the walls bits of statuary on brackets or in niches here and there and one entire side of the room was lined with massive bookcases through whose plate-glass doors shone rows and rows of books in costly binding the wide centre table was strewn with standard magazines and the latest dailies at the left of the bookcase was a massive writing-desk modelled after the latest pattern and evidently stocked with every conceivable thing that the student or the professional could need ivies wandered about on the lace curtains and half-blown roses filled several costly vases a fellow could afford to be sick and lie by for one entire season at least 
Robert murmured, sinking into one of the easy chairs with which the beautiful room abounded. Whereupon he thought of his father, sick, laid by for many seasons, with no such room as this in which to rest himself. One easy chair, such as that in which he was lounging, might afford the weary frame some minutes of rest. If he were only rich, how quickly he would send one to his father. How much did they cost, he wondered. If he were well again, and should really save all that was possible from his salary, could he hope to buy one before his father's birthday? Then he thought of the unpaid bills and groaned softly. If only he had saved during the last two years, he might have had enough laid aside for this rainy day. Why should this sick one have all the delicacies of life about him, and his father, so good a man as he, actually suffer sometimes for things that money could supply? It was unjust, he told himself, and then he gave himself to wondering who was sick here and what was the trouble. The doctor had passed into an inner room, from whence presently his voice was heard, speaking cheerily. Well, sir, how do you feel this morning? The sun is very bright, and the air begins to have almost a hint of spring in it. I think you must be better. What the patient said could not be heard, save in low, feeble murmurs. But the doctor's answer came full and round. Oh, you mustn't be discouraged. Had a bad night, eh? Sorry to hear it. But for all that, you are really better. You must take my word for it, even though you don't feel so, and try to help yourself along by cheerfulness. That's half the battle. We shall soon have you out taking a ride, if the weather keeps reasonable. Then came other murmured words, and the doctor's answer. Oh, never mind your business. You have faithful helpers who are doing their best to try to please you. Besides, my friend, haven't you given the whole matter into the hands of the Lord, and isn't it to his interest to see that everything is as it should be? This bold statement also made Robert sneer. He didn't believe a word of it. Hadn't his father given everything into the Lord's hands years ago? And was anything as it ought to be in his home? Were not all his affairs going to ruin, and was not his mother killing herself with care and anxiety? Nothing was as it should be anywhere, even in this home of luxury, it seemed. This was evidently a poor dependent, a clerk like himself, perhaps, struggling with weakness, and feeling, despite the doctor's words, that everything was awry. Presently another voice joined the conversation, a lady's. Oh, doctor, I am so glad to hear you say he is better. I felt sure that he must be this morning, though he doesn't think so. He is in such a hurry to be up and out. He hasn't patience to get well. That last medicine, doctor, acted just like a charm. Indeed, all your medicines do. Easy enough matter to be a doctor, muttered Robert, determined to be out of sorts with everybody. I'd like that sort of life myself, handsome carriage and horses, fast driving, a lounge in such elegant rooms as these, chatting with grateful people, who shower him with compliments. By and by a large bill promptly paid, and everlasting gratitude heaped on his head into the bargain. I don't see where the sacrifice comes in, I'm sure. The poor country doctors have a hard time of it, I suppose but when a man gets to the top, as this one is, it is plain sailing, and he can afford to ride around and preach contentment to other people. 
Some folks have easy times in this world, and some have abominably hard times, and that's the whole of it. And it is money that makes the difference, and not goodness, or religion, or anything of the sort. End of chapter 12. Recording by Tricia G.